Hey, I'm Will Laviste. He's Eric Laville. You're tuned into Laviste and Claville. We tell it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to it. We've been doing a series on reparations. This is reparations part two. And what has happened recently in the month of April is a situation out in Los Angeles County where the uh, state and the county is looking at actually uh, giving back land that was taken at Bruce uh, Beach some time ago. And Eric and you actually um, were looking at this and, and turned me on to it. Talk a little bit about what that is actually happening and the significance of this. Yeah, absolutely, Will. You know, right now we're at a reckoning, a reckoning with racial injustice mm -hmm. uh, where we have so many people in power and the greater community, you know, when I mentioned the greater community, I mentioned, I mean, the human greater community. Right, broader community. That, absolutely. You know, it's a coalition where people are really looking at this issue to remedy wrongs of the past. When we talk about reparations, we're not talking about giving people free stuff. We're talking about repairing the damage from the past. So there was a wrong that was implemented that now we have to repair. It doesn't matter how long ago it was, but you got to repair it. And, <laughs> exactly. you know, and of course, Will, we know a lot of people talk about, oh, well, you know, I didn't participate in slavery or Jim Crow or you didn't and so forth. You know, it doesn't matter. It hurt your ancestors and your ancestors benefited from it. So you have to right the wrong, hands down. Doesn't, right. doesn't matter how and it undermined and it set up a, a legacy of wealth building, a legacy of advantage for some people, disadvantage, huge disadvantages for other people, which led to things such as wealth building oh, that man. happened with certain groups of people and not others. And so even though, like you said, these are wrongs that happened some generations ago, they had generational impact. So here we are now in 2021, and you can see direct lines of um, poverty, of a lack of uh, development, of disparities, health disparities, and, and economic disparities all over the place that are directly related to the injustices that happened in the past. So, Look, you're exactly right, Will. And, you know, when we, we started talking about reparations, uh, early on. So we've been ahead of the curve in addressing mm -hmm. this. And we mentioned Evanston, Illinois, what that small town is doing. Right. Now, fast forward, you mentioned California. So let's take a look at SoCal. What SoCal is doing or has done, they've, they've uh, the state of California has started a statewide bill to study uh, repairing the damages of the past, reparations of African-Americans who were done wrong through society, as you stated, through systematic racism uh, and the like. One thing that happened in Los Angeles is that the ancestors of a black family was forced out of business nearly 100 years ago by officials of a wealthy coastal city of Los Angeles. And basically, they have been able to recoup their land back. Wow. The Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, according to the article, voted unanimously mm. to begin the process of transferring beachfront property to the descendants of Charles and Willow Bruce, whose once thriving resort in affluent Manhattan Beach was taken under what's called eminent domain 1824. Wow. But we well, we know eminent domain, as long as you get the legislators on board, you could you, you could take anything under the government control. 
The question is, what was the issue behind it? It has to be for a, legit, a legitimate reason for the government. Absolutely. Like and, and racism is not a legitimate reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If the harassment, if the harassment didn't work, then let's take it by, you know, by legislative process. If that didn't work, then you do what happened in Tulsa. Right. Burn it, kill, her, kill as many people as you can and burn it down. And then act like it never happened. Act like it never happened. So, Will, when we talk about America and we talk about the West Coast and the East Coast and then couple that with beachfront property, you are talking a wealth out of control. I mean, you're talking legacy of wealth, you know, years, uh, generations upon generations upon generations. Right. Because one thing that's not going away is the Pacific and Atlantic Ocean. One thing that's not going away is the beachfront on the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, and you recently had some travels, you know, along the East Coast and saw a lot of a lot of that beautiful property and land uh, all the way down from Florida all the way up. Right. I mean, and, and, and the irony, you know, the irony of that, I was just traveling <laughs> down, you know, Florida and coming up through the Carolinas, coming up through Georgia, the Carolinas, through Virginia, is I spent some time in Charleston where you have, first of all, all along the coast of Carolina and Georgia and Florida, you have um, the Gullah uh, Geechee people who in many ways are that original African-American culture fusion that happened. You know, people, a lot of people don't know that it was in Charleston was the main port by which slaves came in from Africa during the transatlantic slave trade. Charleston as a city was built for the purpose of being able to trade and transport and spread and deliver slaves throughout the rest of the colonies at that time. And, pri- and you know, prior to, and, and a lot of it, I was there, and I mean, it is so emotional in a lot of ways. We got to spend some later time talking about this in more detail. But I took a tour and we saw downtown Charleston, saw the buildings and the the structure and down in the area where the slaves were actually held. So if you can think of, you got to visualize a marketplace designed for the purpose of uh, breaking for the selling of human product. So think of a marketplace that is selling, you know, whether it be baskets or whether it be, you know, fruit or whatever. And human pro- human property was part of the selling. And so, so much of our history is right there in plain sight. You, you can see in the, in the architecture, you see the dungeons where uh, people were held. And the thing that was so painful and mind-blowing about it for me is that you saw the churches that also was participate had this, and, and many slaves were kept in. Yeah, I'll make sure it's the white churches, because we've been doing series on the black church. On this. Right, the churches at the time. Well, which, which churches? The white churches. Ab- well, absolutely. I mean, because we're talking about in the beginnings before— uh, African-Americans before black people even began really developing the black the black church in that in that form. And then you see out in front of the churches and out in front of certain buildings, you see the the slave block. Oh. It's actually right. It, they're actually there. And and what people are told is that those were step ups or step downs for the carriages. No, those were 
where the slaves were held and put on the block and the auctions were held. Wait a minute, you Will. So they're still there. They are still, they are still there. Oh, Absolutely. So I talked about the Gullah, uh, the Gullah community, Gullah people, is that they were the peoples who who remained there in the area because slaves were brought in, sold, and transported throughout the United States. Those are many of the people who remained, right? And after the Civil War, they were granted lands, right? And and after the Civil War, they were actually, because of the situation where the lands were situated on the coast, and if you've been in the area, you know Florida is very swampy and the lack of access to islands and bridges, they were actually isolated and they were actually able to develop, because of that isolation, develop the culture uh, much less tainted, you know, by European influences than anywhere else in the United States. And now what is happening is because of the increased value of waterfront property, because of the complex nature of their lands and inheritance and how that works, passing down from generation to generation. And if you don't understand it, you can end up losing their land. So here is a group of people who are very much fighting to preserve their culture, preserve access to their land. And you have here in Los, in, you know, in California, group of people whose lands were taken away. So you, you got this complex nature of what it means to be in America, that is just this, this, uh, issue of land and who has it and getting land and losing land is very much uh, deeply rooted, you know, in our culture and our history, you know, as a people. So, you know, I say all that to say that this reparations thing is not just something of the past. <laughs> it's very much something that is very much alive and is, is rooted in, you know, in our history and it's impacting us today. You know, Will, I'm glad you were able to, you know, pull, draw history and the president and make it real to us. I mean, a lot of times we talk about policy, you know, we talk about, you know, what should be done in the sphere of implementation and politics and so forth. And we talk a lot about history, mm-hmm. but you were able to actually see it. Yes, and see the connection. Right, and not just see it, but touch it, step on it, walk it. And it's as if you went, you went into, into the past in the present. Right. And, you know, and and I'm going to tell you, and I mean, it, it, you know, I'm still emotionally trying to process, it, you know, what I saw, because one of the more powerful images you're in downtown Charleston, you see all of these opulent uh, mansions that, you know, were built on the foundation of, of, again, the enslavement of human beings. Right. And then there are certain parts right downtown in the city where you go right across the street and you see the projects, you see public housing, and you see our people living in poverty. It's like, how do you go one street, you see a mansion, the next street, you see our people, you know, living in poverty, and while gentrification is also going on all at the same time. So it's like you see the the system that we live, when people are talking about um um, when people talk about systemic racism, you right. see how the system is structured in such a way that certain group of people are never supposed to rise above a certain standing. Other people are supposed to be able to enjoy heaven on earth and how it's just continuing to be structured in that way 
and how difficult it is to break through those barriers. Absolutely. You know, when you when you describe what you saw uh, with the mansions and then squalor right down the street, you know, is you think about the history of plantations in the front, you know, everything is genteel, well-maintained, manicured, and you know you got free labor that's that's doing all of that, that built it, that's maintaining it, and so forth. But in the back, you know, you have the slave quarters, you have the shotgun houses, the shacks, and so forth, where people live in in, in that squalor. So it's as if, like you said, you stepped in the past, in the future, you stepped in the past in the present. And you're seeing the future, like you said, with gentrification, because it's beachfront property. You know, it's property that is very, very expensive, but very important, you know, to those areas. And we see that happening all over the United States. We saw it happen in Washington, D.C. We see it happening in California. Historical Black areas such as the Watts and other areas are now becoming, you know, less African-American. Uh, Northern California, you see it happen in San Francisco. Let me tell you, when I went to San Francisco over a decade ago, last time I was there, the treatment of African-Americans was just uh, uh, terrible, mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. And of course, the treatment of the homeless, and a lot of them were also African-American or non-white, uh, was, was, I mean, it was shameful how they treated those people. And I'm looking at that, and of course, I'm feeling like the young lady that film George Floyd's death, that they roughed the guy up. I'm like, you know, should I step in here? You know, what should I do? I mean, I wanted to, but at the same time, I'm looking there. You know, I'm saying to myself, this can't be happening, what I'm seeing. So I understand how people are perplexed when you see these situations. But when you talk about reparations, going back to land, land is the most valuable asset you can have. I mean, when you talk about property, it used to be us, people, right? Now the most valuable asset it still is, is land. Uh, because they're not making any more, as, they used to, as I used to hear growing up, they're not making any more dirt, young man, by yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, like you said, land, you know, okay, in the agrarian society, I mean, land is where you, you work the land to produce food, to sustain yourself, and to be able to sell for others. Now, what's happening in many of these places is that you have developers coming in that, again, legitimately want to use the land for building homes for people to live on or building resorts and those kinds of things, because these are the things that are going to, again, are going to generate capital. So you're looking at, okay, how does it's, it's this tension going on between progress and preservation is what I see also, like what I what I witnessed in, in South Carolina. You know, you've got the developers want to come in. We all want to be able to go to the Hilton Heads and other places and, and live our best life. But then there's a, there's a price to be paid for that as a sacrifice because there's a historic nature of these lands and also cultures that were built around these lands, you know, is you can see that story played out with, for example, the Native Americans, where your culture is very much tied to the land. Yeah. And if you're being forced to have to adjust to this new kind of society that doesn't see the land in the same way that you see it from a cultural standpoint, how do you, you know, how do you adjust? Do you 
preserve how do you preserve your culture and also adjust and be able to progress in the current society in which you live in so it's like a real tension that goes on and oftentimes those who want to preserve the culture um don't seem to be able to innovate in a way that okay we can both preserve and we can develop this land so that it can help sustain us so like what do i mean by that a lot of times you find people giving selling their land away right as opposed to maybe land leasing so whatever is built on the land you continue to generate revenue for the land you know or what you see happening with Native Americans now, a lot of uh, Native American, a lot of tribes are saying, well, I'm not going to sell this land. I'll allow you to build something on it that we can generate, you know, revenue from the, to help the tribe. And so that's part of this. It's like lands were taken. So you got lands were taken unlawfully. How do you repair that harm? And then how do you still move forward in progress in a way that recognizes the new paradigm, you know, new society that we live in yeah, still enables us to be able to maintain, you know, the culture in a certain way. So that's what the Gullah people are, are, you know, are facing, you know, how do you maintain some of those traditions that are tied to the land? But as a society, we no longer there. He's like, we're not in the 1800s without lights and stuff anymore. So how do you make your culture adjust, you know, to the new situation? So it's, it's, this is a complex is a complex thing. So, well, you know, I want to I want to continue on this part of our talk of reparations. We're talking about land mm-hmm. and we are we're this is part two. When we talk about solutions, what is happening in California, the statewide bill to study reparations and how to repair the wrongs of the past, uh, utilizing uh, this beachfront property that was given back to the descendants of the family that that the land was taken from, you know, and then we you you looked historically at the Gullah, you know, mm-hmm. people um, who came, you know, part of the slave trade, transatlantic slave trade, which we are a mm-hmm. part of, right? And how they built their society, and then how Native Americans were stripped of their land, and how we're looking at gentrification now, Washington D.C. We're looking at it here, Rose, looking at it in California, looking at Chicago, everywhere. You know, Northern California, gentrification is taking place. Mm-hmm. So when we delve into and we understand that our land is being taken, and it seems like we're an afterthought. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. let's develop this property. What are you going to do to people there? Uh, let's just push them out to this area. Yeah, push them where? Yeah. Right, push them out to this area and pack them into a, an area so they can learn how to create a new and learn a new, like you said, which is, which, which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Because you know you're you're attached to that area. I remember listening to a piece on National Public Radio NPR where they did a story about gentrification. You know, in California, how they were prompt, how growing up in Crenshaw area, you know, Watts area, you know, those areas, it was it was magical, but it was also complex because it was dangerous. You know, in some areas and so forth. And we understand. You know the uh, the black intellect movement. We also understand the 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 drug you know movement that actually destroyed a lot of families, a lot of communities. Right. But but still, I mean that there's a connection to that. You know, it's like hey, 
we can go outside of our house, go down the street, play basketball, play curveball, you know, that type of thing. And nobody thinks that a bunch of young black boys hanging out playing is an issue. Nobody's going to call police. Right. You know, you somebody sitting on the stoop, getting their hair done, combed uh, on a Saturday, getting ready for church on Sunday. You know, these are things that we were attached to, Will. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, part of the culture. That, I mean, nostalgia is part, part of part of culture, part of what helped us develop to who we are. Yeah. You know, like you from New York, you know, people sitting on the bench, maybe the brownstone. Sitting on the stoop, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, just chopping it up, right? You know, that's, you know, going back and like, do the right thing. You know, that scene, a great Spike Lee movie. That right. should have been motion picture of the year. Uh, you know, but it was snubbed. It was snubbed because people really didn't want to deal with this topic we're talking about now. But the, 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 the person being interviewed said it was complex because now we're college educated. We're up, we went off to college. And in order to live, quote unquote, have a good neighborhood, you got to move out of the neighborhood that you grew up in, that your right. identity is attached to. Right. And now you move to an area that is impacted by predatory lending. Mm-hmm. Right. And now that area is declining, you know, with the downturn of the economy. And then you go back and take a look at your community and it's being gentrified. It's you can't being go, gentrified. Right. You, you know, you can't go back there, but then you in a neighborhood that you can't afford either. Right. So now your identity as you stated, is taken away. So if we look at a Native American model, Native Americans suffer tremendously, just like African Americans uh, in our country. Their land was taken, it was stolen, when they didn't want to trade for it or give it up when the the war... Forced to move, forced to relocate, oftentimes forced to relocate into, you know, worse land situation, you know, least, least profitable type lands, yeah. You know, you got the Trail of Tears, you know, which is basically, you know, we romanticize it, but it was a death march. Yeah, which, it, which by the way, included slaves because Native Americans had slaves as, as well. The Absolutely. Southern, Southern tribes, yeah. You know, so you're marching these individuals to land that is undesirable and leaving them there and giving them subsidies, giving them food that's bad for their health. You know, just like they gave us pork, which was <laughs> which West Africans were not pork eaters historically because right. we were... Uh, because most were Muslim. We did have Christians in there. We had Roman Catholics. But, um, you know, again, we didn't eat that type of food. So you're giving people uh, bread made of a lot of flour, a lot of grease, diabetes increase. You're giving them fire water. There's a lot of alcohol uh, getting people drunk. So, you know, the United States became, in one instance, the corner store, right, where all the processed foods. So people are now attached to this land, but they've lost that identity. Right. But moving forward to make reparations for that, they're allowing Native Americans to utilize their lands in order to create um, businesses on there, more specifically gaming. And that's the situation you all have there in Norfolk going on, right? No. Exactly. Exactly. So we have, but think about it. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. But they're able to operate tax-free and finally a revenue stream that Mm -hmm. they can have their own and again, build up themselves in these United States of America after everything was taken away from them. So now you talk about Norfolk. Let's take a look at Norfolk. That casino that's being built, of course, is uh, offered and being built by Native American tribe and being operated as well. Uh, I think one or several of them. But it's being built in an African-American area that's being gentrified. (laughs) So, you know, on one hand, we see reparations working, you know, for one group. But we see where still discrimination, 
gentrification is destroying the other group. Well, and, 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 and the question is, well, when you have one of the greatest, probably the, 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 the largest movement of African-Americans in the country, mass movement, which mm-hmm. is here in the Norfolk, Virginia area, uh, at uh, this community called St. Paul's and uh, surrounding area, you know, their people are losing their identity. When mm. they move, they're not going to be able to come back there and afford anything. Right. Just like people who lived in D.C. around Howard University, people that lived in uh, South Harlem, which is called Northern Manhattan. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. th- you know, this is this is the challenge: it is how do you progress? How do you preserve and also adjust and innovate and continue to recreate? your identity and culture within the new context, which is going to be the challenge for the people in California, you know, with the beach, which is like, okay, well now you get that land back. What are you going to do with that land? That's going to be relevant to building wealth, to building identity, building, you know, culture within this new, you know, context that we're in in 2021. And I say that is like an ongoing challenge of progress of li- of just living life period you mentioned dc i often hear about how people talk about certain areas of dc whether it be near howard university or 14th street or whatever the case and they talk about how oh this used to be the hood and this used to be all black and my thing is often okay but when it was all black okay what efforts or what was the stumbling blocks to developing that community so that, like you said earlier, it's not something that we grow up in and say, we got to leave. What is this? What are the stumbling blocks? And that's where you come back to the systemic racism. racism The access to capital, the access to being able to get, you know, loans, for example, to do these kinds of development, the gentrification that we see going on, these are not, it's not just people coming in with a whole lot of money just to, you know, discretionary income just to burn and do this, that, or other. There are city plans that are going on. There are banks who are bankrolling these things because they see the benefit of getting a return on their investment. So why is it that when these areas are predominantly Black, we don't have that same type of an investment? And, I, and that's where I think, and I hope that, the reckoning that we're in now, as you spoke about earlier, is what is going to move us towards to really getting to the root of being able to develop our areas so that we're not feeling like we got to move out, we got to leave, but that we can develop and live and live abundantly right where, Absolutely. you know, right where we are. Right where we are. And that's getting to the solution. So in order for us to build our communities back, to, to build you know, the Black Wall Street back, to build the Harlem Renaissance back, to build, you know, areas in every city you had African-Americans that did well. Just in my community I grew up in, the gas station was owned by an African-American male. We owned the the, the daycare and the preschool. Uh, the insurance company was owned by African. The law, the law firm was down the street. You know, you had doctors and lawyers that lived, I mean, just driving around the corner from each other. Right. The only thing that wasn't owned by the African-American was the corner store uh, where what we called the market. It wasn't a corner store. We called it the market. So it was a small place, kind of like a bodega. But you could get you had a butchery there in the back. You can get all kinds. You get everything you needed. And the next door to the chain grocery store. 
and then the bank. Those are the only things that weren't Black-owned in the community I grew up in. So everybody I saw was African-American male with families that owned businesses wow. that did professional work, mm-hmm. right? So how do we get back to that place where now we can go back and build it up? and say, we don't have to move out of our community. We can invest and buy where we are. That's where we are now. Uh, I believe that that's where we need to continue to focus. I think that's one part of solutions to reparations. Uh, that's the land that we currently have. Buy, you know, there's this movement that they call buying the hood, right? Mm-hmm. Buy where you live, buy the neighborhood. That's right. that's right. Buy where you live. You know, even even if it's twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollar, buy it, fix it up, you know, improve the the property value and the like, and make sure that that's a place that you can not just raise your children, start your business, you can live, and then pass that property on. It doesn't decrease, but increase. But in order to do that, we need to address the issues of systematic racism around land ownership, access to capital redlining, and improving our community. Couldn't agree with you more. Take us on home. Well, again, again, thank you so much for listening to, again, LaVie St. Claville as we talk about these important issues. Uh, this is our second segment of reparations. We're going to continue to talk about solutions. We know what the problem is. Now is solution time. If you like this, follow us on our social media. Uh, like, share, and also follow on our Facebook or YouTube and also ACAST, listen to our podcast. And if you have any questions, email us at levisaintclaville at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Until, until then, that's the way we see it. That's the way it is. Until next time.